0: Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. In our discussion tonight, we'll be examining the biography of Safiya bint Huyay. Safiya was one of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi Safiya was born in this city of Medina, and she comes from the tribe of Banu Nadir. Benul Nadir was one of the main three Jewish tribes around the city of Medina. And so she was the daughter of Huyay ibn Akhtab, Safiya bint Huyay. Her father was Huyay ibn Akhtab. Huyay was one of the chiefs of this tribe. So he was a very important figure in that Jewish tribe, the leader of that Jewish tribe. Now, this tribe, Banu Nadir, they come from Bani Israel. So they are from the progeny of Lawi, the son of Yaqub alayhi salam. Prophet Yaqub had many sons. Yusuf is one of his sons. He had one son by the name of Lawi. So the tribe of Banu Nadir, they come, their ancestry goes back to Lawi, the son of Ya'qub. And then after that, uh, it also goes through. Harun alayhi salam, because Prophet Musa and Harun they come from the Bani Israel, they come from the uh, they are from the descendants of uh, Ya'qub alayhi salam, so Banu Nadir they trace back their lineage and ancestry to Harun the brother of Musa alayhi salam, so they come from the children of Harun, her mother was called Barra She was the daughter of uh, Samuel which is Samuel in English, his name was Samuel and he came from the tribe of Banu Qurayza, so from her father's side she came from the tribe of who? Banu Qurayza, from her father's, Uh, no from her father's side she came from the tribe of Banu Nadir. and from her mother's side she came from the tribe of Banu Qurayla, which was another important Jewish tribe around the city of Medina. She was initially the wife of a man called Salam ibn Mashkam al Yahudi. She was married to him um, in her teenage years. At the time, you know, girls would marry at a young age; it was common. Which way, what number in, in terms of? Uh, marriage was this wife to Muhammad? Uh, This was one of the later wives that the Prophet married um, in the year 7th of the Hijrah, so maybe she was you know number, yeah yeah, maybe eight or nine, yeah maybe eighth wife of the Prophet or the ninth wife of the Prophet somewhere along those lines, so yeah he had other wives before her, yeah he had married a number of wives before her, so she was previously married to Salam ibn Mashkam, and then after a while they separated, then another man by the name of Kanana ibn Rabi' he married her, As-salamu alaykum, Kanana ibn Rabi' he married her, he was known to be a brave horseman and also a famous poet, now Safiya says her father Huyay and her uncle they loved her dearly, she was very special in her family, now the Prophet sallallahu alayhi had made an agreement with the tribe of Banu Nadir to live peacefully and not conspire and not to collaborate with the enemy. He signed a document with the Jews of Medina that, well, well, let's live peacefully. I don't advocate for your destruction and you don't advocate for my destruction. I don't conspire against you, you don't conspire against us. Okay? They made a deal. Well, then in the year seven of the Hijrah, after the peace treaty of Hudaybiyah with the instigation of her father Huyay, Huyay was an evil man, he was the chief mobilizer against the Prophet and the Muslims, very evil man, they conspired with the Ahzab, the Arab tribes against the Prophet, for instance Quraysh, the tribe of Ghatafan, other tribes, they conspired, Huyay convinced the Jews let's go inside with the Prophet's enemies and because we live around Medina, we know uh, the logistics of Medina, we know the weak spots, we'll teach the pagans how to come and enter, strike and kill the Prophet and kill the Muslims, now that was treason, the Prophet made a document with you, that you live as one community, citizens of Medina, he respects you as Jews, you respect them as Muslims, if you conspire with the enemy and you try to kill Muslims, that's treason. So Huyay convinced the Jewish tribe of Banu Nadir to commit treason. So they communicated with the enemy tribes, with the Arab tribes, and they said, "We'll work with you to show you how you can make a surprise attack on Mecca and, and Medina and kill the Prophet and the Muslims." Unfortunately, that's what happened. The Prophet is informed of this plot. Ya Rasulullah, these. Uh, Jewish tribes that you made a covenant with, a treaty with, they've broken the treaty, they've committed treason and they're collaborating with the enemy to kill Muslims. So the Prophet says, let's go to Khaybar, Khaybar was their fort, the fort of Banu nadir was called Khaybar, it was an important fort in the Arabian Peninsula, we'll talk about the events of Khaybar when we get to that year, but right now our focus is Safiyyah, so the Prophet goes there and he confronts them, He tells them, oh Jewish tribe of Banu Nadir, we had an agreement. You guys came to me and you said, let's sign a document to live peacefully in Medina. I've honored my side, why did you break it? Instead of apologizing and saying it's a mistake, we'll not do that again, the Prophet would have given them another chance. They became arrogant. They started um, attacking the Prophet verbally, insulting the Prophet and saying that, uh, will never be friends with you Muslims and we'll try to kill you. Why did they hate the Muslims so much? Hatred, because they wanted the last Prophet to be from them. The Messiah, supposedly. Yeah, they wanted that last Prophet Messiah to be from a Jewish tribe, when he came from an Arab tribe they resented that, Arrogance, jealousy, yeah. arrogance, so they resisted and they revealed their intent to fight, so a battle ensues at Khaybar, it's called the Battle of Khaybar, and with the courage and help of Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib Muslims achieve victory at the battle of Khaybar, when Imam Ali goes single-handedly, he lifts the gate of Khaybar, he breaks it and he enters and he fights their warriors, he fights their warriors like Marhab and others and then he enters the gate, we'll examine the details of this incident later inshallah, so Muslims achieve victory, the husband of Safiya remember Kanana, her second husband that she had remarried, he's killed in this battle, he's one of the fighters in this battle so he's killed. Now after the battle was over and the Muslims became victorious, the the Muslims took the spoils of the war and during the um, rules of war at the time, the women and the children who would be enslaved and taken as captives, they would be among the spoils of war that the Muslims would also get. We examined that in our previous classes, is this just, is this not just, why did this happen, we've already had that discussion. So Safiya is taken as a captive, then she's given to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi then the Prophet marries her. Some reports indicate she was 17 years old uh, on this day, at the day of Khaybar when the Prophet married her, she was 17 years old. We really cannot verify whether this is accurate or not, but there are some historical reports. So now let's examine how did this marriage happen? So when the Muslims achieved victory, a number of sources such as Al-Tabarsi, a great scholar of the past, he narrates that Imam Ali alayhi salam took Safiyyah and he called on Bilal, he told him Bilal, take Safiya. to the Prophet sallallahu make sure no one touches her, let the Prophet decide her fate, she's now a captive, a prisoner of war, so the Muslims can enslave those women and take them as spoils of war, he tells him, Bilal no, no Muslim can come and touch her, go and take her to the Prophet, let the Prophet decide what happens to her. Now why is it that Imam Ali salam takes Safiya initially and he gives her to Bilal to give to the Prophet? To protect Safiya's honor and dignity. Remember, Safiya, first of all, she was a decent lady. Number one. Number two, her father was the chief of the tribe. So she has honor, she has status. Imam Ali knew maybe some Muslims would come humiliate her. They don't know her status. So he wanted to protect her dignity. So that's why he takes her, he protects her, he hands her to Bilal, and he asks Bilal to take Safiya to the Prophet. Now some reports indicate as Bilal was taking Safiyyah, another hadith uh, states that her cousin was also with her, so two of them, as Bilal was taking Safiyyah towards the Prophet, he took her on a path that he should not have, he went right through the middle of the battlefield, so he's telling her, come let's go and see the Prophet, instead of taking another route he goes in the middle of that bloodshed and violence and dead bodies, so Safiya's traumatized because she sees the dead body of her husband, of her brothers, of her father, of you know people there in the battlefield, that's not something you should let a woman see right, any person see but especially a woman, so he takes her through and she starts sobbing and crying so she gets to the Prophet sallallahu and she was like suffocating from trauma by seeing those bodies, the Prophet rebukes Bilal, the Prophet tells him Bilal there's no mercy in your heart, why did you take her on this path? Why did you let her walk through the dead bodies of her relatives? That's not appropriate for you to do, O Bilal. So, we see the Prophet is so sensitive, remember she comes from an enemy tribe, she's a captive, yet the Prophet teaches Bilal, don't do that to her, this is not Islam, this is not Rahmah, you don't take a woman through the battlefield, Subhanallah. Rasulullah does not allow the daughter of his avowed enemy Huyay ibn Akhtab, his enemy, remember he was the man who mobilized the Jewish tribes against the Prophet. The Prophet refuses to allow the daughter of his enemy to go through that. Yet his own granddaughter Zainab in Karbala, she was made to go through those mutilated bodies. What happened to the family of the Prophet? Subhanallah. The Prophet would protect enemies from such an experience, yet his own family was... Um, harassed in such a way, now why did Bilal do that? we don't believe that Dilal deliberately did that, it's very unlikely that he walked that path in order to show Safiya the dead bodies of her relatives so she can be traumatized, you know, it, it, it does not befit Bilal's character, so we don't believe that Bilal deliberately did this, but it was maybe out of negligence, right, he should have been more careful, he should have realized, look you have a woman with you, don't just go through the battlefield, maybe for you men it's okay but not for women. So the Prophet when he rebuked him, he was not suggesting that you don't have Rahmah in your heart or that you did this deliberately but the Prophet was probably teaching him Bilal, you should have more mercy in your heart and you should be more sensitive in such moments, show more sensitivity. Uh, So that's why the Prophet rebuked him and remember the Prophet in doing so was also teaching others not to commit the same mistake. He was teaching other companions that if there are women and children in the battlefield, don't let them walk through the dead bodies of their relatives. This is not appropriate and this is far from the Rahmah of Islam. So this is the main version about how Safia was taken to the Prophet. Imam Ali alayhi salam takes her to protect her, he gives her to Bilal, he tells Bilal, walk her, lead her to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi he goes to the Prophet and he tells him, Ya Rasulullah, this is Safiya, the daughter of the chief of the tribe, Huyay ibn Akhtab. Now there are other versions, especially in Sunni hadith, that state initially a man by the name of Dihya ibn Khalifa, he is the one who took her as his share from the spoils of war, she was his share, and then when he realized that she's the daughter of Huyayi, the daughter of the chief, he came to the Prophet and he told him, Ya Rasulallah, it's not appropriate for me to take her, because she's a special lady, she's the daughter of the leader of this tribe, you decide her fate, I'm not going to take her as my share. So we do have, you know, these narrations that speak about Dihya bin Khalifa taking her first, even though our sources indicate Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib took her first and he sent her to the Prophet. Now maybe to reconcile between these two versions, we can say the following, that Imam Ali did take her to the Prophet through Bilal, Dihya initially he thought that she was his chair, for some reason maybe he was under that impression or somebody uh, misinformed him, then when he realized that no, Imam Ali has sent her to the Prophet, he came to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, it's okay, you know, you decide what happens with the fate of Safiya." so maybe that's how we can reconcile between these two versions. So now she's taken to the Prophet, what happens next? How does she become his wife? According to the tabaqat of Ibn Sa'd, which is a famous Sunni history, uh, book of history, the following conversation took between the Prophet, Sallallahu alayhi wa So, when she came to see the prophet, the prophet told her, "Your father, huyay was one of my most avowed enemies until he was killed. He was mobilizing against me. He was showing enmity, even though I made a peace treaty with them. But your father was my staunch enemy." According to this hadith, the Prophet is telling Safiya. It seems the Prophet was testing her. To see what kind of a woman is she, and what her response would be. Because sometimes when you ask a question like that, the reaction, the response tells you a lot about that person. Safiya was smart, very intelligent. Subhanallah. You know what she said? She said, "O Messenger of Allah." So first of all, she's recognizing that he's the Messenger of Allah. Doesn't God say in His book, Quran? She's now quoting the Quran. She comes from a Jewish family. But now she's quoting the Quran. Doesn't Allah say in Surah Al An'am, verse 164, وزر That you should not be held responsible for the sins of others? <laughs> Subhanallah. Very intelligent quote by Safiya. So the Prophet, when he hears that, he's impressed by her response, he says okay Safiya, I'm not going to impose anything on on you, you have two options, the first option is accept my religion, be a Muslim and I'll marry you and there's no greater honor than having Rasulullah marry her or you can decide not to be with me, stay a Jewish and I'll send you back to your people, I'll send you back to your relatives who are alive So the Prophet did not impose anything on her, remember she's a captive, according to the legal, um, you know, uh, laws of the time, the Prophet could have imposed anything on her, she is now a captive, an enslaved woman, she has no right to demand herself to be free, according to the legal details of law at the time, but the Prophet gives her that option, Tells her if you stay with me and become a Muslim, I'm willing to marry you, otherwise I can send you back to your family, so khtari, you choose, what does she choose? She said, Ya Allah, laqad Ya Rasulullah, I'm genuinely interested in Islam, I love Islam. I've believed in you before you ask me to believe. I've already believed in you, then she says, Ya Rasulullah, let's look at my options, why would I go back to my tribe or family, my dad, my, my father killed, my husband killed, brothers killed, why would I go back, of course I'll choose you, <laughs> and to stay with you, and you're giving me the option to become a Muslim, a believer in God or to stay in disbelief and kufr, I prefer to stay with Allah and the Prophet, so um, I will take that as opposed to you liberating me, freeing me and sending me back to my relatives. No, I'd rather stay with you here as a slave than to go back to my tribe as a free person. Look at her iman, look at her commitment. So the Prophet said, okay, in that case I will marry you. By the way, there's an interesting point here, when the Prophet brings up her father Huyayin, you know those who claim that Abu Bakr and Umar were very righteous companions because the Prophet married uh, their daughters and that's an indication that the Prophet loved them, they were good people, they were you know righteous companions because why would the Prophet then marry their daughters right, this is an argument that some people make, the response to that is the story of Safiya. Safiya's father was the chief mobilizer and enemy of the Prophet he mobilized people against the Prophet, yet the Prophet married his daughter. So does the Prophet marrying someone's daughter indicate that the father is a good person? Absolutely not, here you have an enemy to the Prophet, yet the Prophet married his daughter. So, no one can make the argument that if the Prophet married the daughter of X companion or Y companion, then because of that they're good people. Or the Prophet was making a statement that I approve of you guys, you are good people. That in itself is not evidence. And the reason why that's not evidence is because we have another example the Prophet marrying Safiya, even though her father was a disbeliever. Now, not only was he a disbeliever, he was a staunch enemy to the Prophet. Yes. If you use this justification, does it- that the woman herself she's good, like Aisha ah, We're not talking about the woman herself. We're just stating that if someone says this companion is righteous because the Prophet married his daughter, we tell him there's no such thing. Because the Prophet can marry the daughter of a bad person. It has happened. And remember, we have two examples this huye and another one, mm-hmm. Um, Habiba Abu Sufiat when Abu Sufyan was a mushrik and he was an enemy to the Prophet, the Prophet married his daughter, so just because the Prophet marries a person doesn't mean the father is a good person, we want to rule that out, now whether she's a good person or not that's another discussion, so from this angle I wanted to bring this analogy, because there are people who use this argument, yeah the Prophet wanted to you know embrace them and show that they're really righteous and so he married their daughters, no there's no such argument, the Prophet married daughters of disbelievers. Yes brother, yeah um Habibah, That that we have another example here. So in any case the Prophet gives her the option to be Muslim and he'd marry her or to stay Jewish and go back and he'd still liberate her but you know she refused to go, so she had a way out, nobody forced her to be the wife of the Prophet or to stay as a captive, in fact she had a way out but she chose to stay with the Prophet so one report states that the Prophet had her stay with Um Sulaym, who's Um Sulaym? Um Sulaym is the mother of Anas ibn Malik, you've heard of Anas ibn Malik, the companion of the Prophet, his mother Um Sulaym the Prophet kept Safiya with her to teach her maybe more about Islam, and then once she fully embraced the religion of Islam, the Prophet freed her, and then he married her. And what was the dowry of Safiya? No, the dowry of Safiya was her freedom. The Prophet, sallallahu alaihi stipulated the dowry of Safiya, her freedom. That I free you from slavery because she was enslaved at the battle and my freeing you is my dowry for you because that has material value because Safiya how much can you sell her in the market? let's say 500 dinars right, let's say, so basically when you say that I make the dowry your freedom that means what's your worth? 500 dinars let's say, I am giving you that amount to buy your freedom, to earn your freedom and then I marry you, so that's the dowry that the Prophet gave her, her freedom, he freed her for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now when, she, when the Prophet decided to marry her and she accepted, she entered the Prophet's tent and so the Prophet saw her face for the first time from close-up, when the Prophet looked at her face he noticed a bruise, a mark on her face, the Prophet asked her, what's this bruise? She told him, Ya Rasool Allah, I saw a dream before the battle of Khaybar, I saw a dream and in my dream, I saw a moon coming from Yathrib, from Medina, from your city and that moon landed in my lap. Other wives of the Prophet, by the way, have had similar dreams. So I had this dream, when I woke up, there are now two virgins, the first version states, she says, I told my husband about this dream. When he heard this dream, he slapped me hard, he bruised me, and he told me, oh, this dream that you had is an indication that this king of Yathrib, remember, they don't call him a prophet, that's how stubborn they were, king, meaning the prophet, you know that you're going to marry him? So this upset him so much he slapped her. Another version states her father Huyay is the one who slapped her when he heard this dream. So she tells him Ya Rasulullah, is this mark on my face? It's because I saw that dream and I narrated the dream to my husband or my father and they slapped me, they beat me because I said that dream. Because the dream, see Arabs knew something about dreams and this dream was very clear. When you see the moon of Yathrib in your lap, it was a clear signal that somehow she's gonna have something to do with the Prophet and they took that as a bad sign, so they slapped her, this was the mark on her face, so the Prophet took Safiya and when he reached six miles away from Khaybar, the Prophet said to Safiya, according to this hadith, I want to announce our marriage, let's have a wedding, and what, we, what do we mean by a wedding, you just give some food to the people, that's all, that's the meaning of an Islamic wedding, not a fancy wedding. So let me inform my companions that we got married and let me ask them to bring some food to, dis- to distribute to the people. According to this hadith, she refused to marry the Prophet six miles away from Khaybar, in that area. So the Prophet sallallahu did not say anything. It's kind of offensive for her to do that, right? The Prophet is suggesting let's get married, she says no. So when they reach Sahba, which is farther away from Khaybar, she said now I accept, let's get married. According to the hadith, the Prophet asked her, why did you refuse the first time and you accepted here? She said, Ya Rasulullah, in that first area where you suggested six miles away from Khaybar, we were too, clo- too close to the Jewish tribes and forts. I was concerned maybe an enemy could hurt you. So I did not, I was not comfortable having the wedding there. But now that we're far away and we're in safe territory, let's have the wedding because I'm concerned about your safety. SubhanAllah, look at the iman of Safiya. when the Prophet heard that from her, she really became big in his eyes and he says, you know, you know that's, that's amazing Safiya, that you think of my safety. So she wanted this to take place in, in an area away from enemy zone <laughs> and SubhanAllah, she comes from those tribes, but she had a lot of faith in the Prophet So the Prophet says, okay, let's invite the Muslims, three days the Prophet would distribute food, there was no meat because you know difficult conditions right after the battle, only some uh, um, dates and some other foods, simple foods were disputed for three days and this was basically the wedding of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi and then the Prophet announced that this is my wife and everyone started to call her Ummul Mu'mineen, that this is a new wife of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi some sources indicate that she had a lot of respect for the Prophet when they were heading back from Khaybar to Medina. So this hadith states that when the Prophet wanted to leave with Safiya going back to Medina, he brought his camel and he tried to help Safiya mount on the camel, she's now his wife. So the Prophet extended his leg so she can mount on his leg and ride the camel she felt embarrassed stepping on the leg and the you know, on the leg of the Prophet. So instead of stepping on the leg of the Prophet with her feet, she put her knees on the Prophet's leg to try to mount the camel, that was a way of showing respect to the Prophet, you know, I can't put my feet on your legs, I, can, I just cannot do that, but if I have to get up on the camel and you're my husband, no one else can help me get up, mount the camel, then I'll, I'll put my knees on your leg, that makes it more appropriate. So we do have examples of her showing a lot of respect to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi Now when, when they arrived Medina, the Prophet had Safiya stay in the house of Haritha, uh, Ibn al-Nu'man, and the woman of the Ansar uh, would come to visit her there, and they congratulate her on you know joining the Muslim community and being the wife of the Prophet. Quick question: Why did the Prophet marry Sophia? Because we've examined in previous lessons that the Prophet would not marry a woman out of desire. There was a noble goal. What are some reasons the Prophet married Sophia? To show that the hate isn't personal. So number one, to promote the spirit of interfaith, see the Jews of Khaybar, they had committed treason, they violated the treaty with the Prophet and so the Muslims viewed Jews unfavorably and so Muslims um, were now driven by hatred towards the Jews because of what they did, so the Prophet ﷺ did not want the Muslims to hate all Jews. Okay, this tribe was a bad tribe, but it doesn't mean all Jewish people are bad. No, you have a lot of decent Jewish people. So to promote that spirit of interfaith, the Prophet married Safiya, who comes from a Jewish tribe to tell Muslims don't take it personally. Safiyyah who comes from a Jewish background is now my wife. So don't be driven by hatred towards the Jews. No, we still respect Jews who are decent. That's number one. Number two, the Prophet was making an alliance with the Jewish tribes. Okay, those at Khaybar were killed, but there were other Jewish tribes. The Prophet was sending them a signal, look, I'm not here to fight. I married a woman from a Jewish background. Let's coexist. Let's be uh, citizens of one community. Let's make an alliance. So this was a way for the Prophet to decrease the tension with the Jews and to invite them and encourage them. To make uh, uh, an alliance with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi Now the relation with the Christians at that time. Yes. With Muhammad was it good or was it? We talked about Maria last week, okay. Maria the Coptic, okay. and how that brought the Christians closer to the Muslims. Yes, uh, so the, the relations with the Christians were better okay. than the Jews, but there was there was still some tension. And the Jews and Christians relation, how was that? How that- um, they they were not on good terms with one another. So we don't have um, examples of Jewish and Christian tribes collaborating against the Prophet, you know they had their own differences. So they did not have a strong alliance at the time. Now the third reason why the Prophet married her was to honor the captives. Remember she was a slave and the Prophet freed her. So the Prophet was teaching Muslims, you also free your slaves. You'd be good to your captives. And captives can be good decent people because the Muslims think okay, these women from these Jewish tribes, they're all bad. The Prophet says no, some of them may be very decent, I married one of them. So the Prophet was giving status to those captives by marrying Safiya.